Hey, hey, everybody. Mongoose here. Uh, welcome to Little Wars, where the uh, broke take is uh, Naruto is just a, a generic shonen anime. The woke take is Naruto is about an orange man who becomes the ninja president. And the bespoke take is that Naruto is simply just a, before it became the war of the magic eyeballs, is simply a warning story about the dangers of pursuing Gnostic heresies. I am your host, uh, Mongoose Kikimura, and with me today is my... Uh, ever faithful and friendly, loyal, and all-around great guy co-host, Jack Caronet. How you doing, buddy? Still alive? Barely, yes. Really? Absolutely. Oof. Ouch, yeah. what happened? <laughs> uh, just, uh, just a really uh, kind, of a, kind of a painful week, but I'm through it. I'm uh, I'm here recording with you. This is always the highlight of my week, honestly. It really is one of the high points of mine, other than like the weekly session I run. Honestly, this is a very good time for my week. I, I would say uh, not a whole lot comes close to this. Let me tell you. <laughs> and that's not just the impression. <laughs> yeah, talking. I actually do really like being here. Um, it, it really is just a great time. Yeah, and I, I just I just really enjoy this. Uh, uh, what we uh what we do so yeah so uh so did you want to jump into something well or? yeah i mean like okay so i didn't talk jack about this at all at the beginning of the show but you might be wondering why am i talking about naruto first first thing like in the little wars I was, I was about to say i've never seen naruto and it looked it looked uh gay and blue pill to me uh naruto please. naruto like okay there's a lot of differing takes on naruto i don't really have a unique one but i take a very standard take where the first bit of it before it kind of devolved into what it became where it was just uh, about this kid who wanted to become the ninja president but like had a cursed like beast living in his stomach or whatever that would give him energy but was like basically a demon uh i was not a demon waifu which is unfortunate but that's that's fine um that was a very interesting show. It had a lot of very good, it like did a lot of the very standard sort of shonen or like, you know, I guess shonen is like young men's sort of, or, or boys sort of media. It had a lot of those tropes caught endemic to a lot of Japanese media, but it did a lot of things very well. Um, and it was, it was very interesting. Uh, there were a lot of interesting concepts. A lot of the characters were interesting. A lot of the early arcs were very interesting. It kind of devolved later into just sort of just varying levels of just like, I'm going to deploy my super secret power level. Now I'm going to, and, and it kind of became boring. But I mean, it, I wouldn't say it was, it was gay and blue pilled uh, for the most part. It, was, it, had, it had its interesting points, I, I will say. I don't know if this was on recording or not when I told not Titus I had a Naruto headband, but yes, I do actually own a Naruto <laughs> headband. I still have it. <laughs> Yes, and that was on recording, <laughs> by the way. I can I can verify that. Yeah, okay, so that that's out there. So you, so you guys do know. I, I and yes, for all of you who are wondering, yes, it was Hidden Leaf Village. I'm not a uh, I'm not some kind of Philistine. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I know you don't. It's fine. Weird, weird flex, but okay. What whatever what you don't know can't hurt you, Jack. It's fine. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. Uh, I feel, anyway, I feel better now. now we're going to be starting getting people. I, I hope I don't get anybody in the Twitter mentions like, well, who's the best girl from Naruto? Because I'm like, I don't have a dog in that fight. I don't care. But uh, th- you might be wondering, okay, so you just spent, what, five minutes talking about Naruto. When are we going to talk about traditional games? And the truth is, did you know that there's a D20 Naruto system? 
I did not know that. Is it is it Weeaboo Fighting Magics? Is the, I, I thought I thought they already printed that. I thought that was three point five. No, 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 this is this is Naruto D twenty. Like it's it's like an actual game. I actually happened to own a PDF copy of it. <laughs> and well probably one day we'll get so starved for content that uh instead of doing made RPG, we'll just review Naruto D twenty. We could do both. That day hasn't happened yet, but I, I will say <laughs> <laughs> that is that is really weird. So I decided to share my hot Naruto take I came up with while I was in the shower this morning. But yeah, no, there is a Naruto D20 system. Mm. Why you would play it as opposed to a universal system, I don't know. So so here's my question. Does it do martial arts well or or maybe fantasy martial arts? I haven't seen like here's the thing is I'll, I've opened it like twice. I've opened the PDF twice to see, like, oh, I wonder what's going on in here. Because I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be honest. I haven't, I haven't really find found any good systems that do, uh, that do weeaboo fighting magics, but, but with, uh, but with slanty eyes. You know, like that's that's something that I cannot find. Like, like D and D doesn't do it well. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess Savage World does everything well, but you know, not. Oh, Perfect. Savage Worlds doesn't really do medieval combat well, if we're honest. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I I just have not found anything. I've heard about. I've heard. I've heard that Fate does it well. I don't know. I might. I might be misremembering. Though. It does everything well because it doesn't really do anything. You kind of got to do it yourself. Yeah. A lot. So, I don't know. I don't know if you if you caught that, but uh, but but I was I was comparing Naruto to Avatar: The Last Airbender. Have you ever? Have you ever seen that uh, that uh, show? Uh, I, I am aware of Avatar: The Last Airbender. I I was not a big Avatar: The Last Airbender dude. Like maybe like the first season or so, I followed it. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I I liked it when I was in. It came out when I was in high school, so I was I, I watched it off and on. And I always I always thought it was a really good. Uh, if you've got like teenagers, it teaches them all. You know, I. Uh, I, I I recently and recently means like five or six years ago. I recently rewatched a few episodes, and I I honestly think it teaches pretty good uh, for the time anyway. You know, pretty good lessons and things like that. I don't know. Well, you know, if we're talking about children's programming, which I guess we are now. <laughs> um, honestly, I think the best uh, the best teacher available is is Davy and Goliath. Davy and Goliath. Yeah, it was put out by the Lutheran Church. Uh, it's a little cart, it's a little claymation cartoon or stop motion cartoon about this kid named Davy and his dog named Goliath, and they would go on Bible themed adventures. I've never seen this before. I was like in the fifties and sixties. Huh. Had a lot of very bog standard stuff. Uh, you know, like they would. There, I, I distinctly remember one episode where they were going camping, and then they got lost. And it was like a big metaphor for like following God's light. So it's very, it's a lot of very, I guess, from an adult's perspective, very corny storytelling. But for small kids, it's like, it's like 1960s era Protestant gang Veggie Tales. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I, I would need somebody more, uh, more up on theology to give me like the true red pill behind uh, Avatar. But, you know, uh, just for my cursory glances, like like you can tell it's not East Asian. You can you can tell that Westerners made it because there's a lot of Western themes with with like the glossing over of uh you know of of Eastern tropes. 
you know it's it's pretty much just like a bunch of weeaboos made this a bunch of weeaboo christians made this and uh yeah so weeaboo well i I guess you would say cultural christians because i would doubt the people that that made avatar the last uh the last airbender are legit uh christians um because that's the cartoon network and i'm not gonna uh, no, I think I confirm I, or deny whether or not I think the Cartoon Network is Christian, and I'm going to confirm that I don't think the Cartoon Network is very Christian. I think, I think it was actually old Nickelodeon, which is distinct from new Nickelodeon, by the way. But yeah, I'm not a see. Like I, I, I like watch some anime. Uh, I, I, and I am I don't know squat about cartoons. I will tell you that it wouldn't. It would be probably fair to say that I don't even know squat about anime. Yeah, I mean, I I do have friends with kids, and every once in a while, I get to see some like you know Disney cartoons, and oh boy, that's oof, that's really they're pretty uh they're pretty bad. Imagine uh, that they're very bad. Um, I can only imagine how bad modern Disney is. Uh, I don't know. Like again, you guys should all be looking at what what's going on with the Cartoon Network as of late because there's some shall we say interesting stuff going on there uh with what do you mean exactly oh there's just a lot of nepotism and a lot of um uh yeah uh sodomite infiltration that kind of thing uh yes rick and morty creators of that toy boys as well um yeah there's a lot of i've i've noticed the uh oh what's that show it's it's got that got that weird orange dog and and everything doesn't make sense and that's the point like stoners like it what's the what's the name of that oh adventure time adventure time thank you thank you yeah it's like the adventure time <laughs> of of the entire hey you mongoose know, you do a you do a program what what's your thing is about uh we talk about traditional <laughs> games uh with this episode yeah so uh what's that one with the orange dog that I, that all the stoners <laughs> love uh <laughs> hey man like <laughs> I said uh, I said on Twitter, Little Wars is a is a podcast about uh, or by a couple of people who try their best to play uh, traditional games sometimes for people who don't play traditional games at all. Go. If I'm honest, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I'm pretty sure half our listeners don't play traditional games on the regular and probably don't even play like half the games we even talk about. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I I try. If I was going to talk to Insomnolent about uh, Shadowrun, I've never played Shadowrun. It never interested me. Well, you see, and that's and that's the thing about me is that I've like dipped my my toe into all of these games, and you know, I don't I don't think I've ever lasted like three sessions of Shadowrun because you know. Uh, people tend to be very, uh, very uh, finicky when it comes to very crunchy uh, tabletop games. You know, they don't like to they don't like to meet more than like once a month for them. So yeah, that is very cringe and blue pilled, as they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we were uh, we were talking about uh, Weeaboo fighting magics. Yeah, and Weeaboo fighting magic is fun if you do it mm-hmm. right. Like everything, uh, but but weeaboo fighting magic responsibly. Yes. Also, choose your setting responsibly. If we're honest, I I absolutely agree. But so so, my, I guess my question is how do you how do you fit the weeaboo fighting magics into uh, your RPG? Like like you know you're you're running an RPG, you're doing great, but you feel like you need to inject weeaboo fighting magics. If you want to, if you want to make something feel more weeaboo fighting magicy, uh, 
there are plenty of ways to do that. Um, do you do you have to like enter the gaming room in a Naruto run? I do know that means the Naruto run. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess you could start with buying a Naruto headband and wearing that to sessions. Although you're not really helping yourself at that point. <laughs> as woman illiterate as I am, I do know that that isn't going to do you any favors with the quote unquote fairer sex. The alleged, the so-called fairer sex. I can, I can guarantee that. Yes. Yeah. So, so did you, did you have something about, uh, about, uh, uh, fighting in your RPGs, by the way? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. RPG combat. Now that I don't have a monster energy, so I'm just going to take a sip sip of my Coke. Mm. Yes. Now that that's a topic. The how do you handle fighting in an RPG has been a uh, has been a topic of discussion for longer than I've been in the game, longer than Jack's been in the game, and in fact, probably longer than many of us have been alive. And that that that's primarily because it's a very difficult question with not a whole lot of very good answers. Virtually because it really sort of asks the conundrum: how how do you actually fit it in there correctly? You know. <laughs> Well, yeah, and and also, I uh, something something that I uh, thought about while you were uh, while we were talking about this. It's like, you know, you have different kinds of players that come to your RPG for specific things. You know, we always like to joke about the murder hobo. Well, you you know, you also have, uh, you know, you also have the guy that wants to come there and like, you know, just just talk to people. I don't know, maybe he doesn't get enough socialization in his real life. Oh, no, no, that dude, that that dude is generally, uh, generally, actually a, a cool dude. Yeah, um, no, 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 I'm, I'm not. I'm I'm playfully bantering, uh, and also you have the guy that comes in there that just you know just wants to, you know, sword and sorcery. You know, he wants to, uh, he wants to roll dice. He wants to kill goblins. You know, that kind of stuff. That that guy, I, I don't know that that. I have mixed feeling about sword and sorcery, dude. <laughs> you don't, you don't trust sword and sorcery, dude. He's got your back, man. Combat, dude, is it, it depends. Th- the thing about that is, is over focus on combat can really ruin a game. Because again, I look at RPGs; they're they're not uh, an art form. Obviously, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, "Oh, I'm a DM." It's like an art form. No, no. Uh, I'm a pretentious idiot, but I'm not that pretentious and I'm not that much of an idiot. Okay, I'm not that bad. I'm not LARPing like uh, like my hobby is somehow something that's spectacularly uh, artistic or special. But what I will say, and this does need to be said, is that RPGs are very unique as a, as a storytelling medium because they're cooperative and they're, they're very sort of non-rigid in a sense. Uh, video games are a lot more rigid than RPGs, which are more plastic, shall we say. Hmm. Uh, a video game has to be pre-made, pre-programmed with a lot of um, different sort of, not necessarily pre-scripted outcomes, but the actions you can undertake are all very, very um, prescribed. And, and I'm sure somebody's going to come up here and say, well, in Minecraft, you can do like 8 million combinations of this, that, and the other. And, and yeah, that, that's, that's probably sure. sure but the, the choices you had there were entirely up to the choices the people who made Minecraft gave you. It's not necessarily that you yourself were able to make those choices uh, 
totally out of whole cloth. Well, the thing that's really unique about an RPG is that an RPG, you can make choices totally out of nowhere. Uh, anything you can come up with, you're free to present as an option. Uh, and, and as long as everybody's sort of on board, you can, you can do it. Obviously, I've had players request to do some very, very nasty things over in my time playing games. And I, I have flat out refused. And maybe we should get into that some other time or maybe even this episode when you say no to somebody. Uh, when do I say no? Uh, under what circumstances is it right, proper, meat, and good to tell somebody, no, you can't do that. That's nasty. Yeah, actually, I actually have a completely different uh, take than you probably, but yeah, go ahead. And what I'm what I'm what I'm getting at here is that uh, so you've got you've got like a near infinite number of things you can do in an RPG, which is which is great, fun, and wonderful. Um, but that that does sort of raise the question: uh, how do I uh, how do I manage a uh, how do I manage this sort of very interactive experience? Um, in video games, you, you you have a lot of latitude to what you can do, but it's it's still kind of pre-scripted. And uh, one of the things about video games that's sort of a problem to them, I would say, is that they do have very, very samey combat. Um, or that the combat in some cases feels forced. You're just randomly encountering enemies. But because the video game sort of that's the conceit of the way it's designed. It, it's not necessarily a uh, big problem for a video game, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, there has been a push. I feel like Minecraft was the big push for uh, for open world, open sandbox type of video game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously, that's not the standard uh, and. And that's the strength of RPGs that you can go in there and you can you can pretty much make it however you like it, you know. And if I don't, I mean, in the RPG, uh, if you don't like rules in a game, for example, if I don't like the way Todd Howard told me I couldn't climb that mountain in Skyrim, I have to have programming experience to go and make uh, the you can climb the mountain mod for Skyrim, and then I have to go shill it on Reddit and then get people to play it and all that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, if I don't like the fact that D&D told me I can't climb that mountain, but D&D didn't tell you you couldn't climb that mountain, theoretically you can. Uh, now, if the rest of the group is going to along with is going to go along with you, you know, obviously you're limited by what you you have to do as like a team player or what your players will put up with, obviously. But you know, it, it's still less limiting in a sense. Yes, uh, I will. I will say that you are limited. I, I, yeah, I will say you are limited by your social, you know, because that's that's the biggest that's the biggest issue is that you can climb that mountain unless the group wants to go into the other direction, you know, and that can get very frustrating for people. Sure. Uh, again, uh, you know, you can always just find another group, but still, it's still I would argue less limiting than having to learn whatever skyrim is programmed in <laughs> yes well honestly you shouldn't do that either because because elder scrolls have always had terrible engines but that's a that's a show for another day um this isn't a video games podcast uh unfortunately so we can't really uh, again because i don't really I, the only video game i really play anymore is minecraft <laughs> <laughs> which is which is the base and red-pilled option 
It's a very good game. Uh, you can actually make crosses in Minecraft, and uh, you can you can put them on banners, and then you can put your banners with crosses all over the place and claim things for the Church of God. <laughs> and uh, you can build Jerusalem, and then you can take it. Can you build a uh, Can you build Camelot? Except that it's on a floating island surrounded by lava. You did that, didn't you? Well, I mean, I I did that, but I didn't build Camelot. Now, I, now I kind of want to go back and build Camelot, and you know, and uh, or some sort of uh, some sort of Christian like fortress on top of a massive molten magma floating island. Should build Avalon instead, and then have a big wool pixel art of uh, of Saber from Fate Stay Night next to it. Mm, 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 this is the most based and most red pilled option. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so in in conclusion, uh, Minecraft is based. Uh, you know, try to weave combat in with your story. Yeah. Well, let's 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 talk about that because that's obviously a very interesting and compelling thing to talk about. So, and when you want to do this, because we didn't really actually talk about that. We talked about how RPGs are different from video games. We really didn't address this sort of dialectic, right? Because one of the things about uh, Dungeons and Dragons is that it's very formulaic and that the way it runs combat, it runs combat in a specific way. Because Dungeons and Dragons, whether you like it or not, it is a very freeing game, but the game is really at its best when it is a resource management dungeon crawl simulator. Hmm. Because that's the way the rules are written for it. Um, that's, that's, that's its element. That's what it really does the best is when you're managing your resources and you're crawling through a dungeon and you have to make tough calls in the dungeon about the dungeon and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think that's part of the reason why uh, there seems to be a lot of crossover. Not to get too far into video games again, but with CRPGs and you know, maybe not RPGs in general, but s- specifically CRPGs, is that it is really just a resource manager, you know. There are also games that aren't like that, but that's yeah. that's one of Dungeons and Dragons' flaws, in my opinion. Uh, that's that's a, this is like the deep lore flaws. Like there are like the, you know, standard balance complaints, but then like the deep lore flaws that the game is built as a dungeon crawler and nobody plays it as a dungeon crawler, so the game is going to feel alien, weak, and awkward because it isn't. You're you're playing it in a way that it's not really designed to to, to be used. Hmm. It's like taking a. Uh, like trying to do 50 cal sniping with a crossbow a crossbow is very good at what a crossbow does but it's not going to be good at 50 cal sniping yeah I, I and and i feel like that's one of the reasons why people gravitate towards rules rules light uh settings it's because they uh they don't really you know they they're, they're more interested in management and less interested in i don't know i guess uh mechanics does that make sense yeah, no, that that definitely makes sense, and that's that's what I, you know, every everybody, well, maybe mechanics, but also maybe like role play. But the thing about Dungeons and Dragons, okay, so I don't know if everybody knows this. If you're a first time listener, you definitely don't know this. The first game I ever played, first RPG I ever played, was uh, Pathfinder. Actually, uh, back uh, probably three years after Four Edition was released, or something like that. I don't know. I don't know when all these things were released because, again, I don't really care. Based Zoomer. Yeah, I am. A, I'm a very. I actually own a Fortnite T-shirt. Um, Mongoose Deep Lore for you. <laughs> I've never actually played Fortnite, but I do own a Fortnite shirt. So 
The first DM I ever play, had, I didn't like. He was a pretentious, kind of chaotic, neutral kind of dude. You guys probably know the type. If you don't know the type, you'll find him eventually. Um, and this kid, because we were in high school at the time, that was a while back, actually, at this point. But he was uh, he was talking about, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the best way to run a session is to have, like, maybe a couple hours of non-combat. But you got to have combat every session, because that's what people like. And I realized, you know, there's a lot of differing opinions because there were a lot of people we were playing with that were like, nah, I just don't like combat, period. Or combat is slow and boring. Because one of the things, if you get an eight-person party and not everybody is the most rules-literate person, combat will take forever. And that's that's another thing that people don't like about it. It's not necessarily that combat is bad, but it just takes so long, you know? Especially if somebody's taking like five minute turns, then that really bogs things down. You know, you're just kind of bored waiting for your turn to do something. So it's not really, there's no really investment in it and it's boring, right? So that, I didn't really like that, uh, that perspective because again, that also seems very formulaic. It's very episodic and seems very forced, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you have to have combat every session, then you have to do it. And so you're going to have to force it in there, even if it's not necessarily the best idea to put it there. So I actually, um, if I can counter-signal you a little bit, I think that having a rule like that is okay, um, as long as you don't like slam the book down on the table and say, now it is combat phase, you know? Well, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to get to that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, I think we're both going to the same place. Go on. Yeah, basically. Because here's the thing is like, I disagree with that in most cases. Uh, there are some groups of players that really are going to want to fight things every session, but obviously decontextualized fighting isn't fun because a, a game where you just fight things without any context, it's not interesting because it's no longer really a, a cooperative storytelling experience. You're just like going from point A to point B to whack this, whack that. Um, now, some RPGs do do that, but I don't think that's where RPGs are at their strongest suit. Um, that's why Dark Heresy is my favorite game of all time and not only War, right? Because you, when you're running a game, I think you got to think about the game and play to the game's strengths, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, Jack, what would you say the greatest strength of tabletop RPGs is as a medium? Ooh, greatest strengths? Oh. And uh, what is what is the single greatest strength of tabletop RPGs as a medium, including other people in a story or storytelling woven in woven with other people's own uh, view on what that story is? Do you know what I mean? Because like you can write a book, you can you can do all these other things, but you only really have one person's uh, perspective, whereas with a tabletop RPG, you have five people's perspectives on what that story is. Oh yeah, no, no, totally. And th- this is this is actually what I'm getting at is, um, I would I would say that that is basically in essence what I'm trying to say uh, about RPGs. Uh, that's that's basically my take as well is that it's a cooperative storytelling medium, and the strength of RPGs is sort of free flowing, freewheeling sort of storytelling that you really can't get anywhere else. Like where else are you going to get that? <laughs> Yeah, and like honestly, some some of the best stories that I've ever read have been uh, stories with multiple different perspectives in them. Like, uh, uh, I think it was old Warhammer lore was uh, had a lot of stories in them that were specifically from the perspective of characters. So sometimes you'll get different accounts of the same of the same event 
from different people's vantage points, you know? Yeah, that is one of the strengths of Warhammer that makes it so compelling is that uh, there are a lot of these events and sort of shared experiences between everybody in the setting, but there are so many different ex- uh, uh, perspectives on them. It makes Warhammer more interesting and populated. And I think that is one of the underspo- on uh, like not spoken about strengths of Warhammer. Well, I mean, old Warhammer lore, <laughs> new 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 lore is almost completely from a, from the perspective of the writer or you know of the audience, the Imperium. Yeah. yeah. Which is which is not the no. That's again. I'm an imperial guy, but the thing that's compelling about Warhammer is that there's uh, there's a lot of people talking in it to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's an ongoing dialectic from a series of very disparate points of view that that makes it compelling. It allows you to sort of explore different groups of moral priors in a way that you can't necessarily from another a more conventional piece of media. That's what makes Warhammer compelling as a multimedia franchise. And that kind of does get to what's interesting about an RPG is you can have an event shared between multiple people who don't have the same experiences, but all of whom who uh, see it in very different and interesting and unique ways. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of uh, that is what I would say the strength of RPGs are. That's that's what makes them strong. Uh, but another thing that that I well I would phrase it slightly differently than you did. Okay, how would how would you how would you phrase it exactly? I would say that the the strength of uh, of RPGs is that they're uh, they're very they're they're cooperative storytelling experiences, but they allow you to do very in depth, uh, very interactive. They're they're more interactive than any other medium in terms of storytelling I can think of, because it gives the players direct input. They're not sit, sitting down to experience a movie. They're not reading a book. You require their attention. Yeah. Well, the only thing I can think of that's even comparable would be like a choose your own adventure book which gets somewhat close it's not the same they're very free flow very free form and they 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 can allow the narrative to sort of develop as people input on it and that's the strength and in order to make a good campaign to to give people i i would say the the optimal amount of fun to maximize enjoyment you you have to realize what is this game i'm playing good at and I'm going to be frank, RPGs are not good at doing combat the same way a movie is or a video game is because it's not as cathartic because you can't see it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it, it's, it's less sort of there uh, as, as a medium, which, which makes it difficult. It makes combat sort of difficult to relate to as a player, but it also, it's, it's somewhat alienating. And at the same time, it's... Uh, uh, I'm trying to look. I'm trying to think of the word I would use. It's, it's just not. It's not optimal. And and this is this is partially why I think that there was a big push for models in RPG, specifically for combat, because. Oh well, yeah, but that's because like D and D started off as chainmail, which was actually a war game. Yeah, but uh, but I think it's very possible to have an. RPG where you just role play your characters without any combat. Once you start, once you pick up the combat portion, it starts to become a little bit more, uh, you know, um, you 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 start you start to wonder. Well, my movement is thirty feet, so uh, so how far am I away from person? You know, and then the then the DM has to calculate and everything. If you just have like a mat and models, then you have a more visual representation of what's going on. It's not all in your head. What that does is players begin to think, well, if I can move 30 feet, um, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and I'm going to, I'm going to like, you know, 
pull off this maneuver, and then they begin trying to optimize their uh, their combat, which bogs things down. And anybody who's ever played D and D, played any game, knows that the that the worst thing that can happen is things can start to get slow because then people start to lose interest. Right. Which is which is why I've never really liked, uh, <laughs> despite the fact that I'm a I'm a I'm a tabletop war gamer. I've never really liked using models uh for for rpgs i've always i've always preferred even for combat i've always preferred to have combat in a uh in a very flowing free-flowing uh environment you know you will you will find no one who is more uh who is more into models and war games and war gaming type stuff than me honestly and I cannot, I cannot recommend using models for combat at all. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the way I usually do combat is I usually, uh, I, I usually inter interspace it. I kind of sort of I plan it out a little bit more than general dialogue or the path of the role play. But I, I, you know, I, I generally speaking make an outline. Have you ever had to do that in English class? You make an outline. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I don't know what an outline is. <laughs> because, because, like, like honestly, like, I've never met anyone who does outlines, you know, for normal things in their life, right? It's always, it's always like a. You, I do. Oh, really? Like, if you're writing a, if you're writing a work instruction, for example. Yeah. Uh, say if you're an if you're an engineer, uh, you may actually find yourself writing outlines for when you write, uh, because uh, you want to make things as streamlined as possible when you write instructions to make sure your technicians don't uh, mess things up. So you'll actually uh, you'll actually do a work instruction, and one of the ways you best uh, best practices for writing work instructions is you'll write a, an outline of basically how you want the work to flow, like because you're writing basically an algorithm for a human to follow, like a computer. Yes, exactly. That's that's a good word for it is an algorithm, because because what what you're doing is, and you know you don't have to stay completely toward to the outline, but but what you do is you is you block off time for combat that is very uh loose i feel like unless of course you know you really want to get into the mechanics of the game because your players have been asking for it or something so basically you talk 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 and then you know you you uh you wander around and then for combat i usually have a very simple way to decide you know uh uh uh, the combat in whatever, whatever setting I'm doing, right? So, like, so, like, if if the combat is on a staircase of a staircase, and it's usually very short too. I usually like very short combat, where where you don't even notice that it's combat, or it's almost like it's almost like just another social thing, you know. See, this this actually gets to what I was saying: is everybody has a way they want combat to be. Uh, which is a problem because uh, RPGs are about cooperative cooperation, and when people have disagreements, you have problems with cooperation. But this this kind of gets to it because I was actually talking with our good friend John. Uh, John is a good friend of the show, and by friend of the show, I mean the guy who actually does a lot of our audio editing by this behind the scenes. And uh, we have him on here sometimes. He's a great guy. Uh, if you ever want to get in touch with him, just get in touch with me, and I'll uh, I'll relay anything he says. Uh, but no, um, we were talking about this, and that's kind of what spurred me on to like this discussion. Is he was talking about how much he hates combat in RPGs because he th- he always feels that it takes away from the story. 
And uh, so we were talking about combat, and then he had mentioned that uh, he was playing a game of Shadowrun, which isn't a game I particularly like. Uh, he likes Shadowrun, I think, because uh, he plays it. Um, if he doesn't like Shadowrun, I have no idea what he's doing. But th- the thing that really was bothering him was that they were just walking into a place, and then some guys just attacked them randomly, and then like you know that then they fought them and then it was over and there was like no connection between them and anything else. And it was decontextualized. It didn't involve the story at all. And it made me realize that the way you have to do that, because random encounters aren't necessarily bad. I'm, mm-hmm. I, 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 random encounters are fine in, in a sense, but the thing about them is that they're not really good for storytelling, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was, I, it got me to thinking like, how would you, uh, how would you incorporate uh, combat in your game in a way that doesn't feel forced? And I actually have some ideas now. I've thought about this. And I think the first thing you have to do is you kind of have to think about, so let's say I want to do a gang of thugs that goes and encounters my party and fights them, right? Okay. Yeah. Very, very, that's a very standard encounter, right? How would I fit that into the story? That's what you have to think about, right? This is a thought experiment. Let's say you have a random band of thugs. How would you fit that into the story? Well, for me, I would probably make it so that the thugs had a reason to to uh, ambush the players. They were looking for something specific. Uh, maybe not tied too well into the story. Maybe they got a tip off that the players had something valuable on them. You know? And uh, they would have a little bit. So, so in my outline, what I would do is, uh, you know, uh, between, you know, anytime between towns, I have like one or two encounters that I could have where, you know, some bandits had found out that the players had some sort of ring or gold on them or, or were simply rich. So they would have a few lines of dialogue about that. That's how I would probably handle that. I, I actually am of a different opinion i don't necessarily think having them just fight them because they think they're rich is necessarily the best way to go because that's it's it's a very generic reason uh and it it seems thoroughly disinterested uninteresting to me let's for example i'll, I'll consider a, a combat encounter i ran a couple like a month ago or so uh wherein i the players had walked into a bar because they were escorting someone from point a to point b for reasons because somebody went missing and they've been hired to go find them. Right. Mm -hmm. And as they're escorting this dude, some people notice the dude and they attack the players uh, because the dude is there with them. um, Presumably to get at the dude, because these people in in the background have been hired by a, uh, by, by somebody. And then there are problems there uh, with all that. So that there's a, and the players don't necessarily know that this is going on, but in completing the combat and interrogating these people, they can gain more information that sort of deepens their relationship with the setting, with the plot, with uh, things that are going on around them. And it actually gives them skin in the game because now they've been attacked by someone directly or indirectly, and they don't like that. People don't like getting attacked. So now they have a reason to not like the guy as well, which is, which is advantageous to me because it makes them motivated in the way I want them to be to do the things I would like them to do to advance the plot in the way that I'm trying to get it to advance to, right? Yeah, I can, I can see that. Another, another example is they had found an abandoned ruin... Uh, and there was there was a piece of 
something in there. I'm not going to get into too many details, not because of doxy reasons. I'm actually playing this game with guys on the internet who are kind of our guys, but more because I, uh, I wanted them to, uh, well, more because, um, I don't want to spoil it because if they ever listen to this, I don't want to spoil the game for them. But there was a thing in there; it was kind of valuable. So I, you know, I had kind of a something that was going to attack them. And then one of the players starts coming up with wild stories about uh, a quote jumping jangle bones, which is I think something he got off of an old swim cartoon, which matched well because they were going to there was going to be a skeleton snake guarding this uh, guarding this treasure in this ruin. They were going to fight, so they went and they they fought it. They had a great time. They had a great time really realizing that their friend had actually been correct. And it's perfectly fine if a player starts talking about something, like making something up, like some kind of local legend or something, even if it's just kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fine, and it should be encouraged to sort of um, uh, play into that because it makes the it makes the world feel that much more deep, and uh, can it makes the players feel like they're uh, they're sort of inputting in as well. But um, the interesting thing about that was that it had a reason to be there because of some curses and things. And they began to learn about that as well. And it sort of served to deepen the story and deepen the development within it, right? Yeah, I mean... uh, I don't think combat has a place where... Yeah, I don't think combat has a place where it doesn't deepen or serve to sort of enhance the the story in a way. If if it's not doing that, it's really not servicing much at all it should be um it should definitely be contributing to the to the story or the narrative in some way and you can do that in very minor ways that make it more interesting to people that they're say interested in the story i just uh well but but when you said uh random encounters i kind of my my, my mind immediately went to okay i need to figure out a small uh storyline a to b that does not really connect with the overall story, but is something plausible that would happen, you know, uh, to these players, right? So, so if they if they had kept their head down, maybe the bandits would never appear, you know. If if they, you know, if if maybe the bard boasts at the local tavern about, you know, all the you know, gold he has. But yeah, no, well, if, 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 if somebody, if that's going on, then that's totally fine. Yeah. Cause then that just makes the world feel lived in. That's what I'm getting at. Anything you can tie into the player's actions with combat or make count combat encounters tied into those things makes combat intrinsically better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And another thing is, is it say you're going with like a, say the game is developed in a manner where it's kind of a very survivalist game. They're spending a lot of time out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. I think it's perfectly fine. In fact, should be encouraged to have combat that sort of emphasizes this theme wherein they're going against not necessarily uh, monsters or bandits, but they're fighting uh, angry and aggressive wildlife like bears and things, hmm. even cursed bears. That Because that can sort of deepen that element of the story. Uh, but again, it, it all has to tie together. The only time I do decontextualize combat is if I'm running a game for a new group of people or there's been like a lot of new people in a group. Like, let's say there are two people I know and then four people I don't in the game I'm running. I'll put a couple of decontextualized combat sessions at the front of it to see how they respond to it, to see how they feel about combat. Because if they like combat, then I know I should be running a more combat-heavy game. Uh, and, and I'll know to try to incorporate that in more versus not. Because, you know, it's about having fun. So you kind of got to know your players and cater to them. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing is to know your character or know your players and have fun. Yeah. 
not enough DMs understand the principle of fan service. Uh, <laughs> and, and I know it's like, oh, you, the players are your fans. No, that they're not your fans necessarily, but they're they're an audience in a sense, and you should definitely be catering to them. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But no. So so, what do you think about that, Jack? <sighs> <laughs> so I am uh, I I I kind of move in between uh, fan service and having contempt for your players, you know, because because on one hand, I don't know. I guess I guess it's all I guess it's all in my mood. If my if my players are just generally speaking very uh, are being like murder hobo ish, I'll have a lot of contempt for them. You know, but if yeah, no, I'm, I never said you shouldn't have contempt for your players. That's encouraged. You should definitely do that. <laughs> yeah, but but if you know, you know, if they're if they're playing really well together and you know everything is going smoothly, then yeah, I'll definitely have a lot more more fan service. Although I will still I will still have a a a, a moderate amount of contempt because you must always have a moderate amount of contempt. Because because the world in general has a moderate amount of contempt for people, I feel like anyway. So, yeah, sensibly, yeah, you should you should do all that. I I think personally, you you should have a moderate amount of contempt for your players uh, because it helps you. Uh, it also helps you. We've talked about this in the past, but another thing is it helps you kind of become the villain. Mm-hmm. You know. You shouldn't necessarily be rooting against your players, but you should des- you should be willing to put their characters through some uh, through some definite tribulation because that pu- it puts stakes in the story. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just uh, I don't know. Like it. It. I, I guess. I guess. Uh, I guess I'm very irrational about this. It really all de- all depends on like how much prep I have and uh, how I'm feeling about the players today, you know? Oh no, it definitely does depend on that. Yeah. I, I agree. And, entirely. and also on that subject of prep, uh, I like, so, so one of the, I don't know if I've talked about this before, but one of the things that I really like to do is I really like to make small disconnected storylines uh, in the world that are happening in the world uh, like three or four of them at a time and have the players eventually get to all three or four of them uh, at different points in the story, you know, like, uh, yeah, no, that I don't believe you've talked about that in the past, but yeah, that certainly is an approach and it's a very good approach at that. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're, you're in town and you have three or four things that the players can do outside of whatever, the main storyline is well what if they go to another town and then another town and another town you can still use all of those plot points you just have to change around some of the some of the uh some of the details to them you know it does depend more i think on the 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 style of campaign as well if you're running a very very um open world campaign that that approach does work very well yeah, which is which are the campaigns that I that I prefer to run actually are are fairly open world. I mean, you know, within reason. Yeah, I, I I'll 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 give my players an objective within an area, and I'll I'll tie things to geographic locations and allow them to sort of slowly uncut. Because one of the interesting things about open worlds to people is is that sense of discovery of new things that they haven't seen before. 
Hmm. You know, people love that. I mean, that's why people play open world games. So that's that's I think important to do if you're if you've got an open world. Uh, I I also like to give people maps, but not mark everything on them. <laughs> so then they feel like they're actually discovering interesting things. Yeah, yeah, or like or like halfway mar- mark things on maps, like uh, like give half the players one map and half the players another map and like try to confuse the ever-living hell out of them that's fun too i've done that before exactly (laughs) i i I love doing that kind of thing i love doing that kind of thing oh man and it does it does make that more realistic because say you got you've got a book from one publisher and i've got a book from another they're not going to have all the same stuff in them yeah yeah no you've you've just kind of and the other thing is if you're having trouble sort of putting things in your in your game with fighting and stuff and making it feel all realistic you the your problem isn't necessarily uh that you're not good at writing your problem is just that you you haven't approached it from from the most creative way you can uh you, you've got to get more creative with with putting things together uh so for example uh, one way to build creativity, and the, the guy who runs the, the YouTube channel, How to Be a Great GM, I, I keep talking about him, and honestly, you should check him out. He's, he's a fairly decent uh, resource. He talks about building creativity, and he says like one of the things you should do is like do exercises with yourself where you try to become more creative. And the way you would do that is say, like take three, th- three random things in your mind. Let's just say a midget, an automobile, and a pizza. And how would you tie those things together? Obvious answer is, uh, you know, you know, the midget is a pizza delivery man. Okay, and then then you can kind of like explore that in your mind. A midget and a pizza and what? And an automobile, a, 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 a automobile. car. Automobile. Yeah, he's a pizza delivery man, right? But you take more disparate things, uh, just ran- three random objects or things, and you try to fit them together in your mind. Kind of come, try to come up with a little story or vignette, like what's going on here? What what is relating these three things? You know? Yeah, I'm I'm having I'm having difficulty coming up <laughs> with a with a with a good entertaining uh, plot hook for this. You don't necessarily need to. It's 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 a it, it helps build your build your ability to work with things in the random encounter tables because if the random encounter tables give you a midget a pizza and an airplane uh you've got to be able to tie those you want to be able to tie those things back into the world to make it interesting you know now that's now that's a little bit better i like that because now the midget can deliver pizzas in a much wider area you know if well the midget might be a pizza delivery man what if the midget is a uh, airborne pizza thief ah yes there you go and that's the that's the conflict there is he's stealing pizza from his airplane. Hmm. Hmm. So now now there's uh, now there's stakes and, and now there's now there's even a story that's unfolding. It could even be international. You know. Yes. He could he he's an international pizza thief. <laughs> but again, and yes, you, you can you can keep doing this. And and the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. Uh, if you if you're just having trouble tying things together, you just want to work on tying things together. Take a creative writing class; that helps too. Yeah, yeah. I definitely uh, I took one creative writing class all the way back in college, and uh, I feel like I feel like it was it was fun. It was great. It was an elective, so you know, whatever. But it'll definitely help you. Uh, yeah. 
it'll definitely help you as a as a game master because you're you're a storyteller and the best way to be a storyteller is to be very creative on the fly. So Jack, yes. just give me three random things. Give me three random things. And they can't be midgets, airplanes, or pizzas. Damn it. You can't you can't say that. <laughs> I want you to think about something well, we other than those. midgets, airplanes, and pizzas. It's like, well now I can't think. Well just give me three random things, okay? <laughs> three random things. Uh highlighters. Mail and uh, and a glass of water. Glass of water. Yes. Okay. So so imagine this. Now now you didn't give me a person for this, but I'm going to say, okay. So shortly after reading Siege, Ethnogroiper eighty eight goes to his local postal service. Uh, there, a mailman <laughs> is uh, is highlighting uh, uh, some something on a piece of mail, probably because it needs to be returned or something, and. Uh, Ethnogroiper eighty eight uh, shoots him, and he spills his glass of water tragically on his mail on the mail he was working on, uh, ruining it. That's costing the postal service millions of dollars in an investigation into this this horrible uh, maligning of the mail. Hmm. See, I thought you were going to say uh, racist podcaster gets up, sits down at his desk, and names three things that are on his desk. That was that was that was what I was going for, but. But yeah, but I but I think I think your story is much better, honestly. Yeah, but again, it's just about being creative. You know, you just got to come up with three things. Like, uh, there's a donkey, a bottle of vodka, and an ice pick. What's the What's the story there, Jack? Racist podcaster sits down at his desk in the morning and begins and names off three things on his desk. <laughs> no, 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 no. The story is that the uh, the, the a Russian agent has infiltrated northern Mexico to assassinate Leon Trotsky and has brought with him his and has bought a trusty donkey and brought with him his trusty bottle of vodka so that he can he doesn't have to do it sober because as we all know Russians are incapable of inflicting violence while sober hmm. so uh, he has to get drunk before he assassinates Leon Trotsky you're much better at this than I am. that's certainly an angle <laughs> but here's the thing is you'll you'll become better at it as you uh, as you um as you practice, it's a matter of practice. I'm only good at this because uh, because I've done it enough. I agree. I agree. I'm an inherently creative person. Have I have I ever done this before? Who knows? Do you know? Probably not. Opsec gang. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know, and we're not going to tell you. <laughs> exactly. I will never let Jack know. But yeah, no. Basically, uh, no. I mean, like that's how you. You can develop being creative. You can just say, oh, I'm not a creative person. No, you can become a creative person. Anybody can be creative because creativity is is applying. It's ostensibly applying order to very random things. And if you can get good at that, you can become creative. Mm-hmm. Speaking of applying order to a very random world, you know who is very good at that? I have no idea who was good at that. There was a man named Sanguinius. Oh, I was I was just going to ask if you wanted to talk about Angel. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, you know what? Cuz see, we're on the same page, but not only are we on the same page everybody. Listen here, gang. I am getting good at transitions. <laughs> <laughs> not not I no, I think I think I think you ruined it, but that's okay. That's okay because uh because that's the meme now. It's that we transitions. So no, no, no. The, the thing about it is it would have gone over fine if you didn't didn't say anything about how we nailed it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ruin it. You ruined it. No, you ruined it. <laughs> anyway, so. But, but, but you know who didn't ruin it? Sanguinius. 
Ah, yes. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Now, so a lot of you are wondering who Sanguinius is. And if you're wondering who Sanguinius is, there's this great podcast called Political Science Theater 40,000, hosted by some friends of ours named Walrus Aurelius and Roscoe Jones. I, I, I believe his name is Inquisitor Roscovius. Probably something like that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I just write them occasionally. Uh, anyway. Oh, and I DM D and D for Roscoe. Uh, full disclosure, everybody. Uh, yes, this is this is nepotism. Yeah. yeah so I, I I don't think I actually saw the uh, Blood Angel uh, episode for that, but maybe that's here. No, they did do an episode in Sanguinius, and um, yes, it was very good. Mm-hmm. Like all of their episodes, their episodes are very good. And if you're listening to us and don't listen to them, you definitely need to be listening to them. Now, if you do listen to them and you listen to us, you're a person of good taste and character. Good moral character. Yes. Good moral character. Yes. 1790s Immigration Act. <laughs> now, um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there we go. And you just gotta uh, make it all uh, make it all tie together. Now, so so Ma- so mongoose, what do you think of this model specifically? Just the model, divorce it from everything. Well, we didn't even mention that there was a model. We oh. haven't even we haven't even, like the audience probably has no idea what you're talking about, dude. Oh, that's that's a good point. I was I was like, yeah, no. So if you don't know who Sanguinius is, here's how you look him up now. For those of you who are in the know, we know that uh, 40k has uh, the Horus Heresy going on as a uh, as a thing that they're uh, that they're <laughs> selling and peddling uh, f- through Forge World. They've got some very impressive models, some very not so impressive models, and some very impressive models that are priced at even more impressive prices. <laughs> um, yeah, probably too impressive, honestly. But yeah, keep going. That's my take, but you know. So the thing about it is, so Sanguinius has recently got a model for the Horus Heresy game. Spoiler spoiler alert. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. And this model is amazing. At least that's, uh, that's what I would say. Amazing. Just amazing. 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 So, so what, do you, what do you like about it, specifically, Mongoose, before I go into, into my rant? I, look that it do- I like that it doesn't look like garbage, and I like that it's not an overdesigned piece of crap. I, I like okay. Yeah, that's that's definitely the uh, the definitely the main appeal. <laughs> yeah, like 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 appeal to getting the model versus appeal to not getting the model. It doesn't look like crap. It's not overdesigned. I mean, have you have you seen the what's the what's the leader of the uh, of the custodies? in in 30k i forgot his name i don't know i don't care do you, do you think i know about any of this warhammer stuff anymore <laughs> I'll, I'll 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 look him up for you but he is over designed he's got like a massive feather plume and like yeah it's it's absolutely terrible but uh but sanguinius uh, and we've crabbed about the guileman model on at least four to five different occasions so now we're going to complain about it some more and <laughs> the guileman model is trash and unrepentant garbage the 40 the, the 40k guileman model by the way i'd like to point out yes yeah, not the 30 the 30 we, we compare the 30k to the 40k and you can see the difference yeah but if you look at the sanguinius model i okay so everything i like about the model uh, I like the wings. I like angel wings. Uh, angel wings are definitely better on waifus, but on uh, on um, evocative classical styled heroes, they're perfectly fine as well. Uh, I like the nice details on them. They look very nice. And the other thing I like about this is it's very well posed and it's detailed, but it's not detailed to the point where it's overbearing and crowded. Uh, the model definitely has a sense of proportion and it also has a very good sense of how much details it needs yeah that's that's something that 
that many people have pointed out is that uh is that sometimes I mean sometimes you'll get models that are that are that seem to be a little over designed but not too much and I think I think that Primarchs are one of those models that can be that can be uh that can have a lot of detail on them without being over designed do you know what I mean oh, yeah that there's like well in in 40k the 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 uh blood angel models have always sort of been very Greco-Roman statuary-esque. They're very evocative, and they also have a lot of very good musculature and details on some of their more exclusive to their faction models. Like the Sanguinor comes to mind, Mm -hmm. which is another impeccably detailed, and I would say not overcrowded, very, very well-posed and interesting model that has just the right amount. I think I think he's like right in that good spot for for detailing and posing. It's it's just a very evocative model with a lot of motion in it too. Are you are you talking about the new Sanguinius model or the Sanguinor model? Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm talking about Sanguinius still. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, now now you've seen the two different uh, bases too. Which one? Which one do you think looks better? Um. Whichever the person painting it can paint better, honestly. Uh, I'm not going to buy this model, I'm full disclosure. Uh, but I will say that it really just depends uh, about you personally. I think they both look great. I like the one with the demon on the bottom. It's very nice. Uh, and for those of you who are like, uh, why are they talking about something we can't see? Um, you can go Google an image of this. Just just type in Sanguinius model on uh, Google uh, 40K, and then you'll... you'll uh, You'll find yeah. it. Uh, it's all out there. Yeah, it's it's being talked about quite a bit. Uh, <clears throat> so, so my my want to get into that a little bit, or yeah. you want to you want to give us your first impression? What are your first impressions of this model? Actually, what do you what do you like about Sanguinius, Jack? Well, so okay, so so Sanguinius, first of all, uh, was too pure for this world. Uh, you know, he was he was the emperor's purest son, and he and he paid for it dearly uh yeah i so so this so there's been a lot of talk back and forth about this model online and my first reaction to it was overwhelmingly positive because the first thing i did notice is that it was not over designed and i feel like this this has a lot of contrast to the dorn model because i think they both kind of encapsulate uh, what the Primarchs were about, and uh, and the Dorn model was also not over designed, and and was very very good for who Dorn was. Dorn was the Praetor, right? He he built fortresses, he built defenses. Yes, I'm looking at that light right 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 now, and yes, I would tend to agree. It's yeah. it's a very good model. Yeah. Yes. yeah, and and if you notice his equipment, it's it's a massive chainsword and a bolter. Right, and and that was kind of what his uh, his legion was all about. They were all about uh, very basics, you know. Go back to the basics and master the basics, right? Bolter drill is all about, uh, you know, the imperial fists can can uh, can shoot their bolters, right? <laughs> you know, like like from can shoot their bolters better than anybody else, right? Right. They were. I think there was a. Um... There's this great YouTube video about a game called HeroQuest, but he's talking about the models. He's like, not an ama- not an ounce of single pretentious over complexity to be seen. <laughs> that's right. That's basically the the first thing that comes to my mind when I see the Rogel Dorn model is not an ounce, uh, not a single ounce of pretentious over complexity. Well, right. 
and and look at his stance too. His stance is perfect. It's it's a wide it's it's wide footed. You can tell he's very sturdy where he's standing. He's standing on a bunch of rocks, you know, like a foundation almost. He's literally standing on a foundation, actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's literally looking at you, begging you to come and try and try and you know. I don't know. I, I think he's giving me. I give. I think he's giving me the dad look. Like I, I'm <laughs> in control here. He has a very controlling yeah. stance. Right there, there you go. Exactly, and and the Sanguinius model kind of uh, encapsulates that. He's he's you know uh, he's, he's falling down. Yeah, I mean, like, but but that's the thing is that you don't really you you can't really tell if he's falling down or uh, you know rising up. He's he's airborne, right? No, he's definitely going down because he's got his weapon pointed down. I would say it's the uh, same pose as that one image with the uh, with the. That that one angel from that painting where he's got his foot on that dude's head. I think it's Saint Michael. It's it's the same. It's basically the same pose. Was it Saint Michael or Archangel Michael? It was Archangel Michael. My apologies. Yeah, I'm not Catholic. I'm not Catholic enough to get that uh, <laughs> to, to do my uh, Catholicism deep. Lore That's okay. On all their paintings, but uh, they're very similar poses. Right, and yeah, and and he's he's on a striking pose, and he's and he's going down especially with the base of the demon yeah so so that's another thing i wanted to get into is that when this originally was announced uh there was no demon it was it was just some sort of like um debris or whatever that he was attached to for the base and everyone was like you know like raised their eyebrows and it's like wait you're not going to model uh the fight between sanguinius and kabanga like that was that was one of the that was one of the pivotal scenes right was the uh was the corn cornate demon uh and sanguinius fighting you know and uh you know they 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 had met before and sanguinius almost died if it wasn't for uh i don't know there was some sort of warp warp screw screwy uh thing going on with the soul thing and then they and then they met again at the siege of Terra, right? Kabanga came in and, uh, and, uh, at, and at that point, instead of, uh, the demon besting Sanguinius, Sanguinius broke his back, you know, and that was a very evocative, uh, scene, you know, Sanguinius had been fighting for like two days straight or something crazy like that. You know, he was, he was tired, but he still, he, he could still beat the demon that had bested him that one time, you know, and, and it, and it almost, and, and, uh, I'm not going to go too much into the story, but it, but it was basically a growing, it, it, it grew his character a little bit, you know? So, so yeah, and and we also don't know at what point this uh, the scene takes place. Is this on? Um, is this the first time you fought Kabanga, or was this the second time? So I don't know. It's very it's very nice. I think anyway. It's a very nice image. Yeah, no, of course, of course, like you know, Sanguinius had always had this uh, this Christian motif to him, you know, because he is an angel. Very and uh, very yes, yes, but. Uh, and and uh, you know I, I don't want to retread uh, going into like the uh, the background behind the legion and everything, but you know that was that was also one of the things behind the blood angels is that they all they also have this curse, you know. So they so they appear as this like angelic, uh, you know, uh, legion that 
are generally speaking some of the emperor's best warriors, but they also have this dark curse that they struggle with, you know, so it's kind of a it's kind of a light and darkness kind of thing. And uh and the and the stories are almost always about how they overcome their darkness, you know, and it makes them stronger. It's like a Davy and Goliath episode where the Dark Angel's curse is uh, is an analogy for original sin. Right, exactly. It, exactly. Dark Angels are just Davy and Goliath for adult British adults <laughs> or adult man children. I'm not going to go into that. But the wokest the, the wokest take uh, you hear to hear first, folks. Folks. Dark Angels are Davy and Goliath for grown men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so generally speaking, I really liked it. Uh, there were a lot of uh, I don't know that you don't like this model. You're a philistine. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, th- there are a lot of criticisms about the model, though. Uh, but but honestly, like, ooh, ooh, okay, let's let's hear some of that. Well, I mean, it's the general consensus on the model. Why, why aren't we liking this model? Well, no, I think I think a lot of people Golden armor man bad. Golden Armor Man Bat. Exactly. Thank you. Uh, the the original uh, take on the model for a lot of people, I think, uh, was very inaccurate because, you know, this model had been waiting for a long time uh, to come out and everyone was uh, convinced, you know, there were, there were people convinced that GW were going to mess this up. Oh, they're going to ruin it. You know, there's nothing we can do there. There were people that were hopeful. Generally speaking, there was a very high bar. It was a forge world. And I will say that like the forge world primarchs have been very, very good. Generally speaking. Yeah. I mean, I mean, with, with, with only a few blemishes, they have been very, very good. Yeah. All right. Who would you say would the blemishes be? Let's let's take a look at this. Uh, let's see. I'd say Angron, which was the first model. Well, yeah, obviously it's the first. Let's look at that really fast. Yeah. No, I think that's good. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't too bad uh, compared to the stuff they did later. It's it's definitely not as good. But yeah, yeah. Okay, go on. Yeah. Um, despite being a. Uh, a uh, Thousand Suns player, Magnus. Magnus the Red was... I guarantee you Magnus is better uh, in 30k uh, than he is in 40k. Oh yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Uh, no, I, I, Compar- I, I comparing all of them. can't agree. I think that's a decent model. <laughs> you think so? Yeah, I, I like the little warp twist thing going on around him too. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah, and he was a, he's, he's the psyker primark right like he's the magic primark so he's got the spook master yes yeah yeah exactly i like i like that you like that okay yeah well well i mean i i I liked it too but you know sometimes you have to have a detached uh you know opinion on things my detached opinion is that it's a good model continue (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's see let's see um and then getting and then getting into more of the uh I guess the uh, the uh, specifically like um, I don't know the the uh, what, what am I trying to say more nitpicky one uh, I'd say is uh, Fulgrim. Yeah, what's what's up with Fulgrim? What do you not like Fulgrim? Well, so so he's got a lot in common with the new Sanguinius model, right? It's a very dynamic pose. 
if you look at his face, uh, despite the fact that GW, generally speaking, cannot paint faces, so so if your only gripe with a model is their face, you know, I, I would look at online to see if anyone else has had painted them better. But uh, so so a lot of people thought a this was a little bit over designed, but then again, it's Fulgrim. He's supposed to be, you know, he's supposed to be a little over the top as far as that goes, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, but that's that's generally speaking the and and the fact that uh, the fact that he's wielding, um, I believe there, there there was some there was some issue with with him wielding the the sword instead of the uh, hammer because because in the story he's he's like you know he's wielding the hammer and then like you know something happens or whatever but wasn't he wielding the sto- sword then he wielded the hammer or something like that yeah. i don't know yeah it was it was something like that it was just stupid nitpicky things like that you know but uh yeah, but, i always can't remember my soy lore so <laughs> yeah, right right but you know uh overall you know I, I think I think people were more interested in a Fulgrim model that was uh, that was you know standing proudly you know that that like that was looking proudly rather than like the weird ban- banshee look that he had on his face because in in a lot of artwork Fulgrim is just is uh, you know has long white hair and he's and he's standing there looking uh, regal um, you know royal. Yeah, you know, I get, in, I get in a way. So yeah, I think I think that's what uh, I think. I think that's generally speaking the the opinions people had. Honestly, I like. I, I think all of the Primark models look great and probably look better than than most of the models that GW has released. Oh no, I totally agree. Thirty K Guileman is way better than forty K Guileman. Yes, and if you're going to run forty K Guileman, just Go get just, just run Gileman. Yeah, just yeah. get that model and use it instead. It's just so much better. Oh yeah, and it and it fits with his aesthetic far better. Way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I mean, like, like I get the reason why 30k Gileman has the flaming sword. Like, you know, he took his father's sword. 40k, and, you mean? Yeah, 40k. Excuse me, but 30k has a gladius right, and that is that is much more into the into the uh, in in line with the Greco. Roman, um, I said more, more to the. Give Roman. it a glowing blade, and then tell your opponent it's on fire. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's and it's pretty easy to like swap out that blade because he's holding it. You know, he he's holding it in his in his arm. It's not like attached to his model or anything. So it would be pretty easy to swap it out for something else if you really wanted to. I think I think the best part of that model is probably the the terrain in his armor. Because it looks, uh, it, it, and the pose is very good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's another thing about thirty k models is the pose. The poses are always very, uh, very nice and interesting, especially on many of the uh, many of the unique characters. So yeah, in in conclusion, Sanguinius is a very good model, <laughs> and and even if you don't. You know, if if you have a Blood Angel army, I would heavily suggest. Even if you don't play 30k, I would heavily suggest you just you know get him and paint him up because he because he you great know. model. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of the best models I've seen in a while, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got yeah he's got some sort of rapier uh, great sword that he's that he's holding there. He's pointed it it's, down. There's also an option for a spear. Oh, is there? Yeah. 
I didn't even see that. I didn't. I did not even see that. Yeah. So, and and I mean, yeah. And that, that's another thing is that he's got his weapon held out. So, you know, if you're if you're a 40k Blood Angel player, you can replace that with with something that you deem more appropriate. That's why I always like. I always prefer their weapons to be in their arms somewhere. You know, or in their hands. Excuse me, not arms. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Heavy agree from me. Heavy agree. Definitely. Yep. So, do you do you have anything else on this or? Uh, no. Um, honestly, I think I've said my piece on the subject of 30k Sanguinius. It's a great model. Hmm. I, I think it looks really nice. And it and it looks like they. It, I I just found. Uh, I think Sanguinius also has its rules leak too. He's 500 points, which is massive. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't see any of these what the special rules do. But uh, but yeah, you're right. He does have a spear and a blade. So yeah. So yep. Uh, do you do you want to cut it off? I think that's good. We could probably cut it off. Um, I think basically uh, that there's not a whole lot much more to say. Uh, been a pretty interesting week um we still have our dispatch up with titus if you haven't listened to that yet we did get into some interesting stuff there very woke but otherwise i think that's about it uh as usual bully your local soy boy have uh have a good time and uh good gaming and take care see you all next week yeah bye bye